Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Every now and then, I like to open up a book to a random page and seek meaning in whatever words the book opens up to. I suspect this started during really long services in synagogue, like by hour two and a half out of three hours, where I'd start flipping restlessly to the readings in the back of the prayer book or flip through the Bible that was in our pew. And this practice of reading from a random page started when I'd lost interest in whatever was going on and I was trying to stay entertained. But eventually it evolved into a ritual with spiritual significance for me. Each time I would open the book to some page and that was my text for the day. I approached whatever poem or story that I landed on with the questions, what is this here to teach me? What is here for me to learn? It wasn't until seminary years later that I learned that there's a similar practice in Christianity called Lectio Divina, which means divine reading. That divine reading became a fun challenge when I read an especially difficult or bizarre text. You know, many a time you open a Bible, you get lists of so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so, or you get discussions about how to diagnose leprosy. It's all in there. Sometimes it was profound. I did this for the first time in a while, on a day when I was both speaking, seeking spiritual guidance and avoiding packing books when I was getting ready to move. I picked a book up off the shelf, and as I brought it toward the cardboard box to pack it, it opened up to a page somewhere in the middle. The book was a Tanakh, which is a Hebrew-English Bible, and it opened to Psalms. I read some of the words from Psalm 139. God, you have examined me and know me. When I sit down or when I stand up, you know it. You discern my thoughts from afar. You observe my walking and my reclining and are familiar with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but that you, God, know it well. You support me before and behind. You lay your hand upon me. It is beyond my knowledge. It is a mystery. I cannot fathom it. Where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I descend into the pit, you are there too. If I take wing with the dawn to come to rest on the western horizon, even there your hand will be guiding me. Your right hand will be holding me fast. It was you who created my conscience. You fashioned me in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am awesomely, wondrously made. Your work is wonderful. I know it very well.
I praise you, for I am awesomely, wondrously made. Your work is wonderful. I know it very well. What is this here to teach me? What am I here to learn? I noticed that when I read those words, I paused in my reading and I sighed. Do I actually know that I am awesomely, wondrously made? Not most days. I've lived with chronic illnesses and disabilities for most of my life. And day to day, I tend to focus on my limitations, finding ways to work around them to do the things that I want to do in life. But this bumps up against my theology and my understanding of what we're all here for. I believe that we are each here to uniquely contribute to the world, to give the gift that only we can give. But the way I tell my story in my own head, I offer things to the world despite my physical limitations. I find my way to answer my calling despite them. But if I am awesomely, wondrously made, that would mean that my body was awesomely, wondrously made, disabilities and all. What if the thing we are here to contribute is not despite our limitations, but because of them. I think of this visual artist that I really like named Vered Oatmi. Vered is an artist who paints these grand and intricate patterns that always catch my eye. There are interwoven vines and filigree and these just really elaborate designs. I learned that at one point, Vered had been treated for breast cancer. As a part of her recovery after a mastectomy, her occupational therapist encouraged her to start painting again, but painting with both hands at the same time as a way of building strength back up after the surgery. The results are these incredible pieces of artwork that are symmetrical and became her signature style. She now especially hires folks who have lived with cancer to work in her studio. This thing that could have become a burden she worked around or waited out until life got back to normal, or a thing that could have had her stop making art altogether, instead, she let it teach her. She let her illness and her recovering body shape the art that she made, making not only some of the most stunning artwork I have ever seen, but building community around it for folks going through what she'd been through. I also think about Temple Grandin. She was born in 1947, and she barely spoke a word until she was four years old. She had autism. Temple would fixate and obsess over things, had trouble recognizing others' emotional states, and would get set off into panic attacks that the rest of the world had trouble understanding. 
But what she also had was an incredible visual mind. She thought in pictures rather than in words. As a teenager in the 1960s, Temple stayed with her aunt on a cattle farm. While watching the ranchers herd up some agitated cows to give them inoculations, she noticed that the cows calmed down when they were put into a squeeze chute. It's a metal contraption that closed its sides around the cow to hold it in place. Temple reasoned that the pressure surrounding the animals calmed their overstimulated nerves. And during a panic attack of her own, Temple one day ran over into the squeeze chute and put herself inside it. With the walls closed snugly around her, her anxiety and agitation began to ease, and she found calm. She ended up building a version of this that she called the squeeze machine or the hug machine for herself as a support system that helped her get through not only college but also graduate school. And it's a design that is still used to help people with sensory processing problems. Because of Temple's visual memory and incredible detail recall, she was able to reimagine how handlers could work with cows in more humane ways. And people thought she was crazy. She herself, though, had experienced firsthand anxiety and feeling threatened by everything in her surroundings, which gave her a special kind of empathy for these cows. It led her to become one of the first sciences to report that animals are sensitive to visual distractions in their handling facilities, things like shadows or dangling chains or waving flags, details most neurotypical people wouldn't notice. She studied the cow's behavior and the way they react to the world around them, and she built these adaptive curved corrals to reduce animal stress and panic and injury. Her groundbreaking humane interventions are now used by a majority of the cattle handlers in North America. She's become a world-renowned professor and lecturer on both autism and animal handling. In her 2010 TED Talk, Temple reflected that, quote, in a normal human mind, language covers up the visual thinking that we share with animals. But the world, she says, needs all kinds of minds. So I look to these examples, and it makes me think about this concept in Kabbalah. There's this teaching within Jewish mysticism that before they are born, the souls of children choose their parents. They choose this moment, in this time, in this family, this body to be born into because there is something that that soul needs to learn from that particular life, or something that the world needs from that particular soul. Now, 
I don't know if I believe that my soul chose this, nor do I know if I believe in a God who fashioned me before I was born and supports me wherever I go, like the psalm says. But I do love the imagery, and I don't think it actually matters if I believe it. If I try it on, if my soul did choose this body because there was something for me to learn, what might it be? If I am alive at this moment in time, in this place, what might the world need from me? So my friends, I invite you to try this on with me for a moment. You can close your eyes if that's comfortable. Pick some limitation that you felt has been holding you back. Something that happened in your life, perhaps, or something else you might say constrains you. And just sit with it in the safety of this sanctuary for a moment. Acknowledge the courage it takes to look at it. See that thing and ask, what is it here to teach me? What is here for me to learn? What if your life's work and purpose were not despite that limitation, but part of the unique contribution that you are here to make? What if you, your body, the way your mind works, the way your heart loves, were not a mistake or an accident? What if you were awesomely, wondrously made? If that were true, what is the next thing for you to do? Let's do it together. Blessed be, and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.